Welcome to 24 Hour Expert, where we challenge each other to see what we can learn on random topics in just a day. I'm Allie. And I'm Amy. Let's see what we've learned. All right, Allie. Aim. Are you ready for this week's episode? I am, and I actually think your topic choice is funny, given the location that we're in. I agree. Actually, I chose this topic because of our location. Okay, okay. So we'll let our listeners in on the secret. So Allie and I are currently recording our first, hopefully not last, on-location podcast in Florida. And because of that, I chose Disney as a theme. I know, you're all shocked based on my personality thus far. I think this is pretty on the nose. However... I have always been super curious with how Disney parks have kind of built their customer experience structure and how they kind of create the magic affiliated with the parks. So it's hopefully not your typical Disney topic, but still Disney nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. I think it's interesting to learn some of the behind the scenes Secrets, and I like how you just phrase that, to make the magic happen. To make the magic. Because it is, even as an adult, a magical place to visit. It's magical, and it's honestly one of those places that I feel like, you know, we've been very fortunate to get to go a few times in our life that every time you're there, no matter the age, you find something new to enjoy, and it's it's a great experience every single time. And I just can't imagine being five again and getting to re-experience like meeting your favorite characters and, you know, meeting your princess or like Goofy or Mickey for the first time all the way up through like as an adult getting to enjoy like the fireworks and stuff. I just think it is magical. I love it. Yes. It's just a good vibe place, right? Like you always just feel warm fuzzy there. Yeah. Like I'm not full on adult Disney or what are those like? Disney adults. Whatever they call those people. Yeah. Yes. But I am definitely somewhere on the way there because I do love it. And I love going to the parks. What more can you say? I love it. I agree. Well, and I always, I mean, credit to given to those people who are Disney adults, because that takes some commitment to like follow that through. But I agree. I feel like there are certain things that I hold very close to my heart that are Disney. And then I feel that I feel that way about a lot of childhood experiences. But Disney always just kind of gives me that like reboost of energy of like, oh, there's good in the world. And there's these things happening. That makes me sound like a pessimist. I don't mean it to, but... I know what you mean. Yes. Anyway, anyway, we've gone down a rabbit hole of just like fangirling over Disney. So we're going to dive into a little bit of history on Disney. So one of the things that I wanted to share is a little bit first before we dive into the history is that some of what I have found is only for Disney World, which I think is a good distinction to make because there are two Disney parks in the United States Disneyland in California and Disney World in Florida. So while some of this is true for both parks, a lot of it may only be true for Disney World. But I think it's important that we lay the foundation. So for everyone to understand what I'm talking about in terms of customer experience, it's the foundational totality of a branded experience. So everything that you see, touch, smell, go through in your engagement with a brand is considered the customer experience. And Disney does this better than a lot of brands, actually almost all the brands in the world, because they are so focused on creating that magical experience. And their whole brand is an experience. It's not a product, it's an experience. So that's what leads us here. And that's Amy's marketing side coming out full force. Full force. Well, I think it's helpful for context of No, I love it. I think it's really interesting. It's just funny to me hear you talk in your jargon. 
In my jargon. It is jargon, but it's important, and I think it leads to a lot of the things I I have included in this. So, as a brief history of our Disney parks, as I mentioned, Disneyland is in California. It was opened on July 17th in 1955, and it is a significantly smaller park. So, it was one of Walt Disney's original brainchild children, child, brain... Ideas. It was was multiple, we'll say children. Children, one of his original brainchildren, after he had been visiting some amusement parks with his daughters in the 30s and 40s to create something similar. It sits on 165 acres, which is actually relatively small when I give you the number for Walt Disney World. Oh, okay. Um, And they've had several expansions since, but that was the original purchase of land was 165, and I believe there has been five notable expansions to that park. So, Walt Disney World is in Florida, and it was opened in October 1st, 1971. So, a significant amount of time later. Oh, yeah. 16-ish years. Is that math? Oh, I don't do math. Anyway, yeah, I think I'm close. So, Disney World sits on 25,000 acres. (laughs) Okay. And it was purchased as the road structure of Orlando was being determined. So, at this point, imagine that Orlando is not the built-up metropolis that it is now. Walt Disney kind of got it in the ground floor and had decided that this was kind of be the central hub of creating this, like, land of tomorrow and this experience. Disney World includes four parks. Magic Kingdom, Epcot, Animal Kingdom, Disney World's Hollywood Studio. And then there are two water parks, Blizzard Beach and Typhoon Lagoon. So you can see how 25,000 acres would be eaten up pretty quickly. Right, very quickly. But when I start to go through some of the experiential stuff, you'll see how they've used that very smartly to create some of these things. So some last history items I want to list is that Walt Disney did not actually see the final creation of Walt Disney World, even though it was his brainchild, one of his brainchildren, as previously (laughs) mentioned. His brother Roy actually saw the project through because Disney passed away, Walt Disney passed away in 1966. So his brother Roy came through and uh, realized Disney's vision in kind of, I don't want to say in completion because some of his concepts weren't brought through to completion. Like Epcot was really supposed to be like the city of tomorrow. It wasn't intended to be an amusement park. It was intended to be like a futuristic town. Oh, like actual, like a livable like town. Like a livable town. And it was supposed to be like welcoming and open arms for like the futuristic vision of technology. And it would have a monorail system and it would be the perfect town. Mm. So where we see Epcot today is like, at least I see it as like the educational park. Yeah. I don't mean that to be mean to the other parks. No. But it is, right. Anyway, um, it was intended to be an actual living facility. And so Roy obviously varied from that a little bit. However, he did bring through the completion of Walt Disney's vision of this magical place. So for a little bit of context, in 2018, which is the most recent stat pre-pandemic that I could come up with. Okay. Walt Disney World saw 58 million visitors a year. Holy cow. I know. Isn't that insane? That is insane. Now, I will say one of my least favorite things about Disney parks or any amusement park, honestly, it's not brand specific, is the elbow to elbow kind of scenario when you're with people. Yeah. And I will say that Disney handles it really well, but there are still a lot of people. Yes, there are. Yeah. And there's a few other fun facts that I'll share, but one of the things that I thought really stood out before I dive into the others is Disney World is the only other place outside of government secured locations that has an FAA prohibited airspace zone 
meaning that planes cannot fly over Disney World, which is why it is notably quieter, even though you probably miss it with the crowds of people. You cannot fly a plane over Disney World. That is a fun fact. I did not know that. Yes. I've never thought about that. And Orlando is an international airport. Yes. So they all have to go around. Around. Okay. And it is the only other place in the at least continental United States that is not governmental right. that has this kind of... Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is helpful, given that I loaded you up with some jargon at the beginning here, is that Disney parks have a 70% return rate, meaning... Of the visitors that come through, 70% of people come back, which is unheard of in this type of experience world. That is a huge return rate in terms of what they're getting from the first experiences. So think about how many times you're paying that ticket fee, how many times you're buying that sweatshirt, how many times you're buying the Mickey ice cream. Every time. 70% of people do that over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean, we're perfect. Right. Test cases right here. Perfect test cases. We get them every time. We have multiple pictures eating Mickey ice cream. Oh, multiple. And I have to get souvenirs every time. I mean, I'm a shopper, so. It is hard to stop. And now they've even increased. I don't even have this written. I just think this is so smart. So has anyone seen those? Anyone? Like, you're all sitting here in the room with us. Has anyone out there (laughs) in the world seen the Disney bands? You and I have not done this yet. Have you done this? We have not been there since they introduced the magic bands. We have not. The magic bands are so cool. But did you know you can put payment information on those? So you just have to, like, wave your wrist. Do you know that there's artists on Etsy that you can send them your magic band? They will custom paint it and send it back to you. So it is a souvenir in and of itself. Yeah. Think about the investment that Disney made in magic bands. I mean, I'm sure it's like built into your ticket price to some extent. I'm sure it is. But like what an experiential gold mine of like load your payments, load your location, check on fast pass time, have your tickets. It simplifies the entire experience. And think about doing that with your kids. Like here you are, a family of five, you got three kids, two adults, everyone's got their band, boom, done, in. We don't have to like fumble around with stuff. Honestly, perfection. I know. I, I want to go and I, I want my, a magic band. Can you use them over and over? Like once it's your band, like can you use it every time you go back? I don't know. I know that they're affiliated with the app, so maybe because once you have the app, you can also check on all of that stuff. But I genuinely don't know how the magic bands work other than the features that are listed like that. Okay. Well, we can always follow up. 75th hour. Right. If anyone else knows too, I'd be super curious about your experience with the magic band. And if you have an experience pre-magic band, how much better was that? Yeah. That's raised, right? Yeah. Do you like the magic band over no magic band? Yes. Yes. Did it add more magic? Since that's our theme. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Other rabbit holes. So one of the things that I really love about Disney is that he built the foundation on creating these magical experiences. So everything he did in terms of even creating movies and these parks and all of the things that go into this is like creating a space and time where you are going to have a memory of that experience if it's watching the cartoons or whatever. But in his concepts of what a customer experience should look like, it was actually really built on repetition and process and training because he believed that if his people and the employees that represent or the cast members, as they're called at Disney World, represented the brand and knew how to answer the questions and could deliver and be empowered to manage these experiences, then that is what actually created it. So as many of these other things as I'm going to list that they do to create the magic, it really comes down to the people 
that make the Disney parks what they are and the training that they go through. They have a whole traditions training. They learn everything there is to be Disney. There's different ranks that they move through to be able to become different type of cast members. But it is all about this process for perfection. Perfection is the wrong word. For the the correct experience. The right. So that everyone feels like they're being heard in the space and getting what they need. The personalization. There you go. That's a good word. Well, you might know that I have a friend who was very briefly a cast member. I do know that, but that was a long time ago. Yes. Well, he was a summer intern when he was in college. So it was literally just a couple months, one summer. And his particular cast member duties were like cleaning bathrooms. So so what's interesting, we're going to skip ahead of you since you brought that up. On my list of magic uh, items is the custodian group. Because the individuals who clean the parks actually have a very important role in creating the experiences that I've been talking about. Because they are the only cast members that are allowed to wander during the day. So other cast members are really discouraged from leaving their posts. And so the custodians, however, can move around the park freely, right? They're there to create a clean experience. And so they are actually equally equipped as everyone else on the cast member team to answer questions, but they can actually walk around and help individuals find places and do things. So they're probably the most helpful. He probably contributed to creating magic for someone. I'm sure he did. (laughs) So do you want to hear another fact about toilets since you brought that up too? Yes. Okay. So one of my favorite things that I found in looking these up is that Disney was so meticulous in creating these consistencies and the the experiences that you travel through in Disney World. So if you think about like one corner of the park is like Tomorrowland Mm -hmm. and then you've got like Frontier World and all of that. So they were so meticulous that the toilets in each area match the theme. So I love it. When you go to the restroom, can I say toilets this much on a podcast? Do I have to say restroom? It's not a bad word. This is making me think of like when they first showed a toilet in a movie. I mean, I know we're past that point, but yeah, you can say toilet. It's not a swear word. But anyway, uh, where they create when they create bathrooms in the parks, they match the theme. However, in Liberty Square, technically timeline wise, that's pre bathrooms. Oh, so. If you're actually in Liberty Square in Disney World, they're pushed so far back in that space from an access perspective that technically their location lives in other lands. Oh. So there's not actually restrooms that are available to the public in Liberty Square. Tricky. Tricky. So smart. So But detailed. also, yeah, the commitment to staying on theme that you're literally not going to put a restroom because you can't put one on theme. Accuracy. I love it. That makes me love it even more. So not magic creating, but accuracy creating. There is wavy brown bricks that run through Liberty Square as well, or maybe it's Frontierland. Someone can correct me. But in any case, in one of the lands, there's wavy brown bricks that run through, and it's actually there to identify that that's where the waste would have run. In the time period. Oh. So the actual thing so like of the street sewer systems, not underground sewer systems. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. Right? So like the attention to details of those little things. I don't know that that's an experiential. I mean, I guess it is. If you're really into history and it's accurate, right? Yeah. I'd rather have brown bricks than waste or simulated waste. <laughs> simulated waste. 
<laughs> we're really going for accuracy here. That would be a different level. But I do think I found that one really cute that like they were so committed to this bathroom <laughs> thing that they were like, okay, not only are we going to push them so far back that that's legitimately not in the space anymore, but also we're going to run these bricks through the town. I love it. Isn't that how I want to go? You're going to pay attention. Yeah. So we'll bring this list next time. We'll do part two because honestly, there's so many more things here. I tried to stick just to the quote unquote secrets or facts that mm. lead to the experience part. But there's so many more from like a park usability standpoint of like, how do you leverage your fast passes and where do you go to get places? And like, if you go in the left lane versus the right lane, what does that do for you? Yeah. But anyway, we tried to narrow it down. Some of the more notable Disney tricks, and one that I personally love, because we all know I have an obsession with color, is that Disney actually created their own color green, and it's called Go Away Green. And you love a green. I love a green. Green is my favorite color. But I think the meticulous planning that it takes to find a green, that they paint everything in the park that they do not want you to see. Fences, systems like mechanical systems, piping, anything that is just not meant for an appealing visual is painted go away green. And it is a Disney created color that literally allows individuals eyes to go past those items and just see them as part of the landscape so that everything around you looks pristine and you're not focused on like random red fencing. I love it. Like meticulous, yeah. just so smart, and like, that is I, one I of the well known. I want to see the ones. HVAC system. Like, don't right. show me that. Don't show it me that. It ruins the magic. I, I, Cinderella would not have an HVAC system. She's just magically not sweaty. Yeah, or magical air conditioning in the castle. Magical air conditioning. These are princesses. We don't need to see these things. <laughs> Although I'm sure Goofy wish he has, because you know those costumes are probably hot. Not to ruin the magic. If you have little ears, oh no, Goofy's real. Okay, going forward, it's all real. We talked about our bathrooms. The other thing that always makes me really happy, I learned so much on my my journey here, is about the castle. So one I already knew and one I learned. The thing I knew is that all of Disney's castles face north and south because that way there is never bad lighting on the castle. So when you're taking a picture in front of the castle, there will never be that like weird shadow because the sun will never be right behind the castle. So you won't be backlit at any point in time in front of the castle on either side because the light will always be coming from the side. So you physically cannot take a bad picture of either Sleeping Beauty's castle or Cinderella's castle. Wow. Second to that in castle magic is that Disney uses forced perspective to make you believe that things are bigger than they actually are. So Cinderella's castle, although large, is actually not as large as it seems, but they used forced perspective when they were building it. So the bricks at the top of Cinderella's castle are actually smaller than the bricks at the bottom. So when you're looking at it, even if you're standing close to it, it feels huge. Oh my, the geniuses who plan out these things. Yeah. I I am blown away by this information. It's just, I was so happy reading these. Okay, I'm going to say something that's probably very generational to me. You know how Taylor Swift plants Easter eggs. Yeah. And to like let her people know what's happening. Right. I feel like same level. They are on that next level of thinking of like six steps ahead of everyone else. They're like, you know what? We're investing all this money in 25,000 acres. Let's make people believe that this castle is larger than life. Let's paint everything green so it's just the most beautiful experience and you don't have to do anything else. I love it. I love it. Right. It just makes my heart so happy. See, you can tell I'm just, this is one of my things. Anyway, one of the other things that I think is super important to creating accuracy for little kids, probably a little bit more, you will never see two of the same character at the same time. 
So there is, for all intents and purposes, one Cinderella. There is one Mickey. There is one Minnie. So if Mickey is in the parade, he will not be visiting anybody else on the other side of the park because that's not possible. However, there's only one Mickey. Because there's only one Mickey. If you have little ears, cover them now. However, there are tunnels that run underneath Disney World, which I think you already knew. I've heard of tunnels, yeah. So there's tunnels that allow cast members to move more quickly where they need to be. So there are multiple characters. They would just never be seen at the same time in the park because it's not possible that they can all get to where they need to be. So it's very scheduled who's where when. Yes. So that we don't burst any magic bubbles because there is a Mickey here and there's a Mickey here. Or there's a Cinderella here. Or this is not the Cinderella. I got my picture taken with something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You may know this. This is kind of on the edge of just a fun fact, but it's a little bit experiential. There is actually a secret room, hotel room, in Cinderella's castle. It is the only place in the Disney park that you can stay that is in the park. There's one elaborately fancy hotel room in Cinderella's castle. How do you even get to stay there? I don't. There's also a secret society. I didn't dig into that. I intend to at one point. It's called the VIP. It's Club 33, I think. It wasn't experiential, so I didn't grab it. But we should talk about that, and then I can figure out how you rent Cinderella's room. Okay. All right. So we'll just earmark that for another day. So anyway, secret society, secret club. Society seems harsh. So other news in experiential is when you're in one land, so if you're standing in Tomorrowland, the way that they have the scenery and everything built around you, you cannot see any other lands. So unless you're in the transition parts of the park that are taking you into these different lands, you should not be able to see any other land. So if you're in Space Mountain, you should not see the railroad ride. The minecart thing. Right, because it would take you out of the experience of that land. Right. So all of the architecture around them, whether it's trees or buildings or just the facades and the spaces, are built so that you are not seeing any other land when you are living in that experience. I love it. The employees are trained when they find children who are lost. They're all trained to treat it as if they're on a mission to find their parents. So it becomes an adventure for the kid, which is proven to actually keep the kid calmer. Mm. So they act as if this is planned and we're now on an adventure to find your parents because your parents got lost and we will help you locate them. So they create (laughs) magic in the experiences. It's so funny you bring that up because I was just on one of the, you know, mommy blog things I follow. They were talking about what to do and like how to teach your children what to do when you get lost. Tips that they had mentioned, tell your kid to stay where they are, Mm -hmm. get very, very loud, look for a family to help you, Mm. tell them you're lost. And then some other people who responded to this blog were saying, you know, use with the Apple AirTags. Yes. Or the Tile AirTags. AirTag your kids so you can find them. Take a picture of them beginning of the day so you know what they're wearing, what they look like. Yep. Well, they even make those like removable temporary tattoos that have phone Phone numbers on them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all good stuff. One of my friends used to tie a balloon to her children's backpack or their wrist so that even if they wandered, the balloon would bounce around and you could see them because they're little. Right. So I don't know in Disney if that would be as effective because there's probably a lot of balloons, but it might help a little. Yeah. But it's important to start your children young, teaching them what you want them to do should you guys get separated. I like that. That's that my little parent side, PSA. <laughs> little side, little fun side fact. Yeah. Little fun side session. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a couple other things that are built within the park that just help from an efficiency standpoint. 
So things like the flags are not actually all American flags. They're off a little bit. They may be missing a few stars or a few stripes because there is protocol, as we've learned, right, with how to manage and maintain your flags. And so because of the amount that Disney has throughout the parks, they are not all accurate. Some of them are just representative. And so while they treat their accurate ones the, in the appropriate manners, mm-hmm. the others can then stay attached to the buildings or whatever. That makes sense. Yeah, because that would be, he would need like a team just to do flags. Just to do flags. Other efficiency things that they've listed is like they don't actually sell gum in the parks, chewing gum. Because oh, you don't want it everywhere. You don't want it everywhere. So while guests may bring it in, it is not sold in the parks anywhere. And they limit the sale of straws and balloons to certain areas so that they don't become litter throughout the park in different spaces. Okay. Right? You are never more than 30 steps from a trash can when you are at Disney World. Wow, that's great. Isn't that amazing? It's yeah. part of the cleanliness things. They did research on how far people would be willing to walk to find a trash can. Apparently... I'm sorry, not 30 feet, 30 steps. You said steps. Oh, good. I'm glad. In my head, I said feet. But in any case, that's how far people are willing to walk to throw away trash without just littering. (laughs) That makes us all sound so lazy. Right? Well, 30 steps and not one step more. The last item I have here for efficiency gains is that they actually use garlic to help keep the bugs away within the park as well. Oh, I like it. Very natural. Yeah. So some nice things that they do, they never point with one finger because they're sensitive to cultural issues that may be offensive. Yeah, hand signals and things. Hand signals yeah. and things. So I they actually rem- have a Disney point. My friend, I remember him saying that, yeah. There's a, I think it's an index finger and your middle finger point. I think three is preferred to minimum. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So they have a Disney point and they are always empowered to help create magical experiences for the guests. So if a child gets to the front of the line and then discovers they're too short, although they try very hard to catch that at the beginning of the line, they can actually give the guest a pass to skip to the front of the line at the next one. So little things like that they've empowered their cast members to do to create those magical experiences and make sure everyone feels welcome and included. Love it. Love it. The last thing I wanted to call out before I start wrapping up is that one of the things that I learned while digging through this is obviously Disney does a lot of humanitarian work. But I always did wonder, for a park so big and with so many eateries and all of these stands, what kind of happens? And they actually donate 823,000 pounds of food to 40 Orlando area nonprofits of unsold perishable items. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I always did wonder, because like that's so many, you're creating so many things for, I'm sure, somewhat planned demand, but by the end of the day, you don't know. Yeah. What's going to be sold. So that is kind of coming to the end. I think I covered all of my hot topics. I have a few that I think I'm going to save for maybe a Disney file when we talk about some of their other secrets of like hidden things in places and meanings and windows, where to look for Donald Duck in the Haunted Mansion and stuff like that. Oh, okay. But these are kind of my findings from a Disney experiential standpoint and how much detail they go into for creating the magic that we all know and love. I'm impressed. I'm impressed by the detail. The detail and the amount of time and energy they just took to really focus on what this looked like for 58 million people, I think was the number I gave you earlier. That many people are experiencing it and loving it with a 70% return rate. That's amazing. So we will save some of the other Disney secrets for an alternate episode, episode two maybe. Thank you for letting me nerd out on my customer experience topic for Disney. They do it better than anyone else, and they've crushed it. 
But I think that's it. So thanks for letting me talk at you. Do with that what you will. If you have any comments, suggestions, corrections, you can email us at 24hourexpert at gmail.com. Spell out all the words. It's also our Instagram, our Facebook, and our website. You can find us there. Talk to you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to 24 Hour Expert. Our theme song is Lo-Fi World by Ricky Bambino. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe so you're notified of future episodes. 